Thank you. Yeah, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you. My name is Eric, for anyone who doesn't know me. Hopefully, I reckon most of you know me. Um, yeah, it's exciting today to look at the, uh, the Passover. So we're, we're doing a series called, where do I pop that? Hang it up there. Uh, doing a series called The Peaks. Got that up there? Yep. So um, one book, one story, one hero. And so as we're uh, trying to look at some of these key events throughout the Bible, um, we're getting a grasp of the Bible big picture. So that's the, that's the idea of this series. So we've already looked at, uh, in our first week, creation, second week, the fall, and last week was Abraham and the patriarchs. So we're moving rather quickly now. We've jumped to the Passover for part four of this series. Um, I believe next week we're at Sinai. So, um, yeah, hold on to your seats. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to get this, uh, grasp this big picture. So before I go any further, though, um, can we pray? Father, thank you for this opportunity to get into your word and to learn from you. Um, Lord, what a treasure it is that you have spoken to us through your unchanging word that is truth, that um, shows us who you are and, um, and how we can live in response to that. Uh, we pray that you would um, teach us wonderful things from your word today, help me to uh, proclaim faithfully um, the and, uh, you know, enlighten, enlighten people to the passage that we have. Um, but, yeah, just pray that you would encourage us and feed us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I encourage you to grab a Bible if you have one. Um, we're mainly looking at Exodus chapter 12, um, but I'm, I will apologize. We're also going to... Sorry, I thought I said something wrong. Exodus 12. But we're also going to be jumping around a bit here and there. So if you can't keep up with me, um, I, I'm sorry. We, we're going to try to grasp the, the full meaning of this passage of the Passover as best we can in, in a sermon. And I'll, I'll try to do that um, not without uh, being here all day. So um, just to link us to where we are now. In Genesis 15 uh, last week, um, John was preaching on um, uh, Abraham and how he believed God, counted his, him as righteousness. And... Um, uh, I thought it would be really worthwhile to note that in that passage, um, just a bit later on in Genesis 15 from verse 13, God said uh, to Abraham, uh, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. So... Uh, God knew this was going to happen. God's setting up his big picture story. He knew that his people were going to be in slavery for a time. Um, and we're going to find out why as, as we go more in this. Um, but uh, so to bring you up to speed quickly, so from Abraham, he had children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that lived in Canaan. Um, they all um, moved to uh, Egypt during a great seven-year famine. And they lived in a region called Goshen. Um, and then fast forward these few hundred years, um, Exodus chapter 1 verse 7 tells us that the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and, were become, uh, and became an exceedingly strong um, so that the land was filled with them. So here we can see God's hand of blessing um, clearly on this, on this people, uh, for God already fulfilling his promises given to Abraham that his descendants would be as innumerable as, as uh, the stars. So uh, God's called a man called Moses and his brother Aaron uh, to lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And um, now, it, to me, it's a bit unclear how long their slavery endured. Uh, certainly for the last 80 years, Israel has been in very harsh slavery. About the time of birth of Moses, 
that was when the uh, Egyptians were throwing the baby boys into the River Nile to kill them. Um, so uh, by the time that we read in Exodus 7 verse 7, Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83 when they came to Pharaoh. So for the last 80 years, it's been very, very severe um, uh, slavery. Um, it could have been uh, a while earlier before the time of Moses too that they were already um, as slaves um, in Egypt. And um, so that just gives you a bit of the context where we come to. Um, the Israelites people also, um, it tells us in Exodus 12 verse 37, uh, they were a multitude of about 600,000 men. So plus the women, plus the children, they're over a million. They, they were talking about a big lot of people. So um, this is uh, where we come to in um, the Passover. So we're in Exodus 12 and the Passover is the last of 10 plagues. Uh, God's already performed nine powerful signs and wonders in Egypt, but still Pharaoh refuses to let all the people of Israel go. And could I just encourage you, I might, I might also prompt you again later, but just reading the plagues again over the last couple of weeks, for me, it, it's, it's actually really encouraging how um, uh, powerful God is. Just being reminded of what he did, I was, I was like, wow, it, you know, he can, he, God is able, he can do anything. So, um, so there's nine plagues, powerful signs, um, but still Pharaoh refuses to let the Israelites go. The Israelites have already um, been set apart from the Egyptians. Uh, they've been spared from experiencing the fourth plague right through to the ninth now. So Egypt has been having these terrible things happen. Israel only experienced the first three, but since then God's like, no, um, I'm clearly going to show Egypt that this is, this is judgment on you. Um, and yet still uh, Pharaoh refuses to let them go. Um, the Israelites' household, on this occasion for the 10th plague, uh, they are given an instruction to obey in order to be spared the same fate as the Egyptians. So, as we've just heard, thank you, James, for your reading. Um, the, uh, each household was given uh, this instruction to slaughter a lamb or a goat without blemish, one year old, um, to paint some of the blood on the, um, on the doorposts and on the lintel of the house so that you can imagine the entrance of a house with a... Um, arch, it's, it, it, it was a, a very symbolic thing they were putting on their front door, door post. Um, and yeah, they were obviously going to roast the meat and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So verse 11 uh, in chapter 12 shows us that they eat the meal dressed, ready for immediate travel. You know, they've got the sandals on their feet, they've got their staff in their hand. That would have made it a bit hard to eat, I reckon. I'll put it in the left hand so I can eat. But um, can you imagine the expectancy the people of Israel would have been having at this time? They've seen God work mightily in the previous nine plagues, and now they're being told, this is the final one. You're going to be free after this. Be ready. Have your sandals on. Have your staff in your hand. Um, uh, so, you know, that's the expectation. They're also instructed to bake unleavened bread um, because there wasn't even enough time to allow the bread to rise. So I don't know how many of you know much about bread, making bread. We don't make much of it these days. Uh, our bread machine at home makes it if we don't buy it from the, from the shop. But um, growing up, I remember um, my brother making crow's bread. That's what my dad called it, crow's bread. I'm sorry to get controversial here now. Um, but, um, you know, uh, at quarter time, sorry, before the game started, um, my brother would mix the ingredients and um, during the first quarter, it would let it rise. So it let it rise for about half an hour. And then at quarter time, knead the bread and then let it rise again during the second quarter. So half time, knead it again, and then into the oven during the third quarter, and at three quarter time, get it out of the oven, I thought it was gonna be burnt, and you pull it out of the oven and you spread it with some lovely butter and you eat it during the final quarter. So um, that was 
that was the process of crow's bread. Yeah, that's why it's got its name. But it just, that, that routine of when to need it and everything just seemed to fit in nicely with a game of football. So, um, it, 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 but it, it takes a lot longer to, when you put the, the leaven is like our modern day yeast, to put that into preparing bread, it takes time. And, and God's actually saying, you don't have time. This is going to be, your escape's going to be quick. You've got your staff in your hand, um, unleavened bread. Um, they, I think even the significance that they, they weren't leave, meant to leave any of the lamb in the house. Whatever was left, they had to burn. Um, you imagine they're about to evacuate these houses. You don't want food scraps left in these houses that would get smelly. So they, they are prepared for um, a quick escape. Um, yep. So, uh, and then we come to, to at midnight. So let's read from Exodus 12. Uh, verse 29 and 30. Um, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all the servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Yeah, so that's, that's huge. That's, this is a very significant judgment uh, on, on Egypt. Um, the, uh, the, probably the first question some of us might even think of when we hear that is, wow, is, is, that, is that too harsh? Is that unfair, killing so many? Not a household where there wasn't someone that had died. Um, yeah, had, had, had someone in it that died. Yeah, so <laughs> we've, got, we've got some good people that are tuning in from the younger age group. I love it. That's, that's a compliment. <laughs> Um, so, um, let us consider first that these, these ten plagues of Egypt were called the great acts of judgment. We see that in Exodus 6.6, 6, Exodus 7.4, and also um, in that final chapter, I just heard it when James was reading actually, in, in chapter 12 around verse 13 there. Um, it, th these are acts of judgment. So, to, uh, that's I think going to be really helpful for us to understand as we come to this question of the goodness of God uh, when we're considering... Uh, you know, this, this uh, event. Um, also, remembering it was Egypt um, who was so oppressive, not only to inflict such harsh slavery on God's chosen people, but also by murdering their babies, uh, male babies, by throwing them in the Nile. Um, the death of Mo Moses' firstborn son was also the initial threat that God had told Moses to give to Pharaoh. Way back in Exodus 4, um, God said, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So God's actually being clear and giving warning up front, you need to do this. <laughs> um, this is, in, uh, sorry, th this is um, what's going to happen if you disobey. And of course, um, failure to believe God, failure to obey God, um, that's danger territory for all of us. And, and for, um, for Pharaoh, he obviously not only didn't believe, but he actually increased. After that, he increased the affliction on the people of Israel by giving them no straw for their bread. So um, God's just told Pharaoh that these are my precious <laughs> people, and he's just given them even further affliction. So um, I, I don't know how much to, I'll, I'll skim a bit more here, but th this is a big question of, you know, the goodness of God, and this is one of those examples where a lot of people come to that challenge, and, and um, I, I guess I'd, I just want to um, 
say up front, there's going to be more here that I can't say that I would love to share, but if people ha- have questions about the, the goodness of God here and, and how could he afflict that, please talk to me, talk to John, talk to someone afterwards. We'd love to actually help explore this. But what I, what I do want to draw out is that, um, you know, God is a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And um, uh, yet he by no means can excuse the guilty. Um, he is a God of justice and a God of mercy. And um, just as big a question that should be for us is how, how can God, um, you know, uh, be a God of love and do that? Well, actually, uh, just as big a question, how can a God who is just, how can he forgive sin? He can't just excuse it and, rub, and brush it away. Um, and that's why, you know, that's why we know the significance of Christ. Um, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. I'm, I'm, uh, please, if, if that question of the goodness of God um, uh, is, is a, a problem and we're still looking at it, please c- come and chat afterwards. But um, certainly God here is not harsh or inconsistent with Jesus of the New Testament. Jesus never condemned or distanced, distanced himself from any of the Old Testament history. In fact, he said, I and the Father are one. And in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus is the I am, who that's the name God gave to Moses right here at this Exodus, at the head of the, um, the, the many plagues and, and this final plague. So, so Jesus himself is the I am. Um, Jesus um, has just a serious perspective on sin and its consequences. He says in Luke 13, verse 1 to 5, when the people of Israel heard about a, a terrible tragedy of a tower that fell on people and killed many, and it, they said, is it because of their sin? Is, were they worse sinners than the rest of us? And Jesus said, no, it wasn't because they were worse sinners than the rest of you. But he says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So we, we need to recognize that, um, you know, yes, our God is a God who, um, f- first we need to recognize God is a God of justice and that we need to come before him with fear and knowing that um, our sins deserve punishment, but then once we realize that we are sinners in need of a savior, that's when we actually can grasp the, the gift of his love. When we realize what we deserve, justice, our sins deserve God's punishment, then we realize that we can't come to God asking for, for justice, we come to him pleading for mercy. And God not only gives mercy and not giving us the punishment we do deserve, he gives us grace. Grace adopting us into his family and more, more favor than what, what we deserve. So um, let's come back to our, um, our narrative here. We've got um, uh, the, all the, uh, the firstborns of Egypt have just died and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a significant outcry, uh, a cry from, from the Egyptians. And um, uh, just a note on the firstborns, actually. I don't know if people might be aware. A firstborn is actually, um, a, it's a title that's not just about the birth order. It is about birth order. But um, it's actually a culturally, um, it was a, it came with special privileges being the firstborn. There was a, a, a specific authority that was given uh, in leadership, the firstborn of a family. Um, and there was actually a double portion of an inheritance that they would, they would grasp. So if, if a man had three sons, um, they would divide the uh, inheritance into four, and two portions would go to the firstborn. So that was that was how it was done uh, culturally, and uh, so it's it, the, the title firstborn has has great significance. But of course, God calling Israel His firstborn son in Exodus four was demonstrating how Israel 
uh, was his privileged and uh, had a privileged uh, place among the nations of all the earth. God had chosen them with a special place. And Christ himself is called the firstborn of all creation in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and verse 18, and the firstborn from the dead. And uh, all of this, of course, we see is starting to point to ultimately the firstborn to, uh, came to die to demonstrate, sorry, the firstborns here die to demonstrate the need for the firstborn son, Jesus, to die for our sins. So God is setting up a, a stage, if you will, a, um, uh, an example. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely jumping ahead to some of my notes later. I'm a bit, uh, get, I'm getting excited. <coughs> so, so the firstborns have died, and Moses and Aaron were summoned by Pharaoh during the night. So this is urgent. Pharaoh couldn't wait till morning, and he's releasing all of them from slavery, the whole nation, all their flocks and herds. And it says the Egyptians were urgent with them as they were um, asking Israel to leave. They were, and the Israelites actually were told to ask the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And um, they gave so much away to the Israelites. They gave them everything they asked for. It, it, it says in verse 36, thus they plundered them. Um, God's promise back in uh, Genesis 15 was that they would come out with great possessions. And here they are. The Egyptians have just said, go and take what we have. We, they, were just, they thought, if they don't go now, we will be dead. Um, so uh, it's, it's an amazing amazing way that God delivers, has delivered his people uh, from slavery in Egypt. And they headed out through the wilderness, set out for the promised land, a land to possess for their very own. So that's the, that's the what happened. Um, what's the significance of this? There's, there's immediate significance, obviously, for Israel, and there's prophetic significance. And um, let's, let's look a bit more at, at, the, at that, because, you know, we're, we're skimming over this Bible. We're, we're focusing in on this Passover event. Very significant. Why? So firstly, obviously, it's freedom and oppression, uh, fr freedom from oppressive slavery and uh, the setting out for the promised land. And, you know, the people of Israel, this was their key event. So it was so momentous that right at the start of chapter 12, we're told, you're going to reset your calendar. From now on, your people of Israel, this is your first year, uh, first month in your year. Um, that, that's how significant this event is. Um, and then he's saying, every year I want you to have a Passover festival to remember this. Um, a week-long festival to remember what God has done in setting you free from slavery. So, you know, it's, it's significant. Um, why, why else did God, um, you know, perform these amazing wonders in Egypt as well? It was to show Israel that Yahweh, the Lord is their God who delivers them. And it was to show Egypt that Yahweh is God and that the name of the Lord would be proclaimed in all the world. God's reputation wasn't just going to stay in Israel. God's reputation was going to reach to the ends of the earth. We read in Exodus 9.16, But for this purpose I have raised you up, he's speaking to Pharaoh, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You know, it only took until the third plague <laughs> when uh, the magicians of Pharaoh said, this is the finger of God, because they couldn't, they couldn't do what Moses was doing. They're like, that can only be God. Um, this was, it was such a powerful display of God's power. So it clearly established Moses and Aaron's leadership, and it was a fulfillment of these promises to the patriarchs. So... Um, 
really key thing to also look at in this, in this passage. Uh, let, let's take notice that the people of Israel for this final plague, they had to trust in the blood of this lamb and actually paint it on their doorpost. They had to actually believe and act on what God had said, lest they also suffer. Um, so it was their faith in, in the blood that saved them. Okay, We read in Hebrews eleven twenty eight, By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So by faith they were saved. Okay, This connects back to Abraham again in Genesis 15. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's the theme that we see right throughout the Old and the New Testament. We are justified by faith. We are saved by faith. Okay, so for them, the significance of this uh, event of the Passover was obviously the, the um, freedom that they now uh, had as a nation. But this is also a prophetic event. Oh, well, there's a theological term called typological um, event. Um, here in the Passover, we see God deliberately setting up a type or a foreshadow of his ultimate redemption of all mankind from slavery to sin by the death of his only begotten, his firstborn son. It's no coincidence that during a future Passover festival, Christ, his substitutionary death took place to deliver mankind from our slavery to sin. 1 Corinthians 5.7, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. John already mentioned earlier in the service from John 1, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So just as the Israelites' faith in the Lamb's blood spared their household from, judgment, uh, from the judgment of God then, so our faith in Christ's blood will spare us from God's coming judgment in the last day. Here we can see that it is plainly incorrect to think of the old covenant as having failed, so God just scrapped that and... Uh, come up with a different plan um, that's just that's not right is it <laughs> I love it Robbie you're like yep you can see that point too God's plan um, to redeem mankind through his son has been evident right from the beginning right at the fall in Genesis 3:15, the seed of the woman was going to bruise the, the serpent's head um, that prophecy of hope there's a coming redeemer one day um, and we see that uh, thread continue uh, through you know Abraham and, and the promises, the, the, the sacrifice with Isaac, you know God will provide the sacrifice, and um, you know the, that again the beautiful picture, a type of Christ, um, Isaac um, being spared. But uh, so we look at um, the the new the New Testament shows us that you know when Jesus was with um, the people after he rose from the dead, uh, he was walking on the road to Emmaus. He says. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus is right throughout the Old Testament. We have to see him. We have to have our eyes open to this. And um, it's, it's a beautiful way for us to grasp that um, we, we, we have uh, a God who has a plan and he's unfolding it. And I sometimes wonder why he's taking so long. Um, but he does things in his time to very clear purposes. And I know his wisdom is far above mine. And he, I guess he probably make, he makes sure we don't miss the significance when his son finally comes. He wanted to make sure we grasp the significance of that. So uh, another verse which I think really highlights this aspect of the Old Testament 
um, meaning, significance. It's Colossians 2, verse 17, speaking of the Old Testament festivals, it says, these are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Hebrews talks much about the Old Testament events as copies and shadows of the greater and the better new covenant, Jesus Christ. Um, there's a few farmers here. I'm a farmer and often, oh, and I'm a school chaplain, I do a couple of jobs. Often you're on the header or wind at harvest time and um, you start seeing these shadows skip, scoot over the crop and, um, and there's always birds of prey around. I don't know, uh, people often, I, I love seeing the birds of prey um, and often yeah, just wor you're working away and you suddenly see these shadows go across and they're looking for quails because the machinery stirs up the quails flying out of the crop. And um, the, the shadows, are, it, it, it's a significant thing. It tells you that there's a bird of prey. And um, well, you know, it, 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 it tells you it resembles what is truly there. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, the shadow it lacks color and clarity, um, and and the glory of the actual uh, object casting it. But it's distinct, distinctly still recognizable. You can see the shadow, and you can recognize what that is representing. And um, that's what a lot of these Old Testament um, stories, uh, you know, these types and these. Uh, symbolism that we see in the Old Testament, a lot of them, we, we can see once we see Christ that, oh yeah, that's a shadow of him, that's a, that's, that's a copy. And the, the significance is just beautiful. So ultimately, you know, these shadows keep on pointing us to the substance. The substance of these things is Christ. And just as the shadow of a key, jo John told me this quote before, I thought it was quite good, the shadow of a key cannot open the lock. Um, so it is necessarily, we need the fulfillment uh, we need an actual key, which is Christ. So, um, so yeah, God's unfolding a plan of redemption throughout the Old Testament. Um, he's setting a stage ready for his ultimate redemption through Jesus Christ. So hopefully that gives you a bit of a grasp of the Passover, but what does it say for us today? What is the significance for us? Um, I've, I've, I've thought perhaps there's three, three aspects I'll, I'll try to encourage us with today. There's probably more. I'm just a man. I, I'm going I'm to not think of everything. But firstly, um, just as the Israelites were saved by their obedient faith, so too we are saved through faith in Christ, the true Passover lamb. And that's got to be our most significant take home from this. <laughs> we, we need to see our need to trust in Christ, the lamb of God. So can I just ask you guys, um, everyone here, please be honest with yourself as we think on this question. You know, when our life in this world is finished, what's the basis for our hope? What is, where is our faith, actually? Um, to be received into God's presence. Um, do we just think, hmm, I'm a pretty decent person. I've never killed anyone. You know, or, or perhaps, yeah, I've done a few wrong things, but surely my good outweighs the bad. Or... Do we realize that actually my sin deserves God's just punishment? My only plea for forgiveness is because Christ died in my place. Can I urge you, as you think about that question, be honest with yourself. We actually have to come to God on his terms, not our own. We can't just say, oh, I think I'm good enough, God. You've got to let me in. We, we have to be honest. And God says, for, he, for God so loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. 
We need to trust in Christ. He is our only hope of salvation from God's final judgment. And secondly, the second application, realising that life with God doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect and easy. I just felt like that was something when I... If people know the story of what happened after Israelites left Egypt, they, they, they weren't headed for the lush promised land yet. They had to go through the wilderness. And um, in our own Christian lives, you know, we might have to travel through the wilderness, but we are setting out for the promised land, which corresponds to heaven, our eternal home. And remembering that God is faithful and able, that he will provide our needs, and he is a calling and a purpose for our lives, can carry us through that wilderness. Um, you know, the truth is it may well have been easier for the short term for us to remain as sinners, not to trust in God, not to give up um, our way of serving ourselves to, to live for God um, in the short term. Life might be a bit tougher for us as Christians, but we have an eternal home that we are, that we are set out for. We have a God who has shown us he is strong, he is able to carry us through all of the challenges that we are going to face. And, and, you know, this idea of expecting life to be easy or wanting life to be easy, it actually can be a trap. Jesus warned us in Matthew 7 that wide is the gate and easy is the way that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Narrow is the gate and hard is the way that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So, so my second application from, from today is that life might be harder, <laughs> but it's worth it. And thirdly, and finally, the importance of remembering what God has done helps renew us in our minds and, and build our faith. So God instituted the Passover festival. Um, th that was to remind the people of his rescue that he has done. Do you know, we, we tend to forget. We forget. Look at the people of Israel. That very generation, um, when they got in the wilderness, they didn't think they had enough food or water. Um, they're like, has God brought us in this desert out here to kill us? Like, what's he doing? Um, they forgot already the mighty hand of God, what he can do, the way he can provide. God had them. <laughs> he had them. And, um, do you know, we can forget. Hearing uh, from the Bible the wondrous things of God and what he has done, just like I read through, the, again, the, the ten plagues this week, it, it just reminds us how powerful he is. It builds our faith. When you know what God has done, you know what he can do. You can trust him. Um, and... Uh, you know, not just even things from the Bible, but even what about in your own life? Do you remember some of those ways that God has acted, the prayers that he's answered? Um, Catherine and I actually have a book where we try to record some of the remarkable ways that, that God has acted and blessed us in our life. Because we know that, you know, you think you never forget that, but, you know, you do. <laughs> you do forget what God has done. And it's really helpful. We look back in that book and like, oh, yeah, wow. Remember we prayed for that. And God answered our prayer. Remember that that money that arrived just when we thought you know, we were in trouble. Um, it's incredible the way that God does act. And, and that power of remembering, that renews our mind and it, and it spurs on our faith. You know, for Israel, they had to remember they were no longer slaves now. They were free people. Um, they were adopted and chosen uh, as children of God. You've got, to, you've, you've got to keep that in your mind when, what, what God has done. And for us, we have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his beloved son. Let's never forget that. We need a new call, sorry, we have a new calling and a new destiny. We need to remember. So, shall we pray? And uh, hopefully 
there's something there that um, has opened our eyes to the goodness of God and what he's doing here in the Park Church. So, Father God, thank you so much that you are our rescue from slavery to sin, that you brought us out from a place where we could not uh, save ourselves. You have delivered us and brought us into your kingdom as your children. Lord, help us to recognize that we need Christ, his forgiveness, sorry, the, the forgiveness brought with his blood. Help us to remember your might, your power, what you have and can do, and to know that you are faithful and that we can put our trust in you. Lord, we ask that, uh, yeah, the, the word that um, I uh, have tried to uh, bring out, Lord, we pray that that would um, nourish us as we uh, think upon it, as we learn from you. Uh, help us to be your people, be your light in this world. Uh, help us to encourage um, others around us who don't know you uh, to, to be um, just curious to know who is, who is it that these people trust in that makes them set apart and so um, uh, confident would be the wrong word I, I just I, I know that we we have got a God who is going to carry us through and that will carry us through the storms of this wilderness so we thank you God we ask you to help us and to grow us in Jesus name